Watch out, there's another crack. Don't step on it, beanpole. Well, you break your mother's back. You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. Give this a whole mid-October spooky season. Yeah, y'all. I'm so excited. <laughs> Halfway through October and ready to talk about something that has been such a long time coming. Dude, no. We've both <laughs> just been so thrilled by the prospect of doing this ever since we, you know, took a gander at the calendar uh-huh. and realized this October we have a Friday the 13th. Drum roll, Friday the 13th. <laughs> so what does that mean, Christian? That means... That means we get to cover Hey Arnold's standalone opus about superstitions on Friday the 13th. <laughs> nice. I like it. Let's, yeah, let's go with that. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I mean, we've we've been talking about doing this episode ever since the beginning, but honestly, ever since Headless Cabbie, mm. um, because they were coupled together, these two oh, that's right. episode segments. Yeah. Yeah. This Having this Friday the 13th in October, it just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. So It twisted our arm. Because we always celebrate October so big with all of these, you know, sequential episodes. Uh, it stepped on our sidewalk cracks. It just makes sense. This is one of them. It walked right under our ladder. <laughs> There it we go. broke our mirrors. There we go. We had no choice. It is time, listener, to open up those umbrellas, walk under some ladders, oh, yes. and step on every crack as we dig up <laughs> yes. all of the superstitious research from episodes past, and plus plenty of new spooks, uh, just in yeah. time for you guys to regale your friends with all of their mm. origins mm. at your Halloween or Friday the 13th party. We don't know your life. <laughs> we don't know your life, but if you're doing either one of those things, I want to hear about it, because I'm probably mm. going to live vicariously through you. For sure. And we also want you guys to let your friends know where you got so smart. Where are oh, they? This is That's Pretty Dark. <laughs> You're right. My name is Christian. My name is Kaylin. This is That's Pretty Dark. Yes. Yeah. We always forget to do that. We always have to like find a place to put it in because we always- I have started so writing it in. It. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it is what mm-hmm. has been necessitated by our clumsiness with the it. The so. bare necessities of podcasting. You just got to yes. say the name <laughs> of the freaking show in your own name hey, so people know we're self-taught, okay? <laughs> this is That's Pretty Dark. I'm your host, this. Christian, your ghost host, Spooky Season Ghost Host, and I'm here with your other Spooky Season Ghost Host, That's Kayla right. Andrews. That's who we are. And in true Pretty Dark fashion, I have concocted a witch's brew of superstitious magic to share with you today, Ooh. outlining not only the origins of the superstitions uh, as best I could manage to find them because <laughs> yeah. superstitions are honestly kind of like humanity's big old game of telephone. Uh huh. Yeah. But the origins also of the proposed curse lifting apotropaic magic as well. Oh, God, I love it. I love the energy you're bringing today. It's really spooky. It's all it's in fun. there. It's, it's all it's really good. wrapped up in this episode. It's going to be a good time. And this is fun because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to Friday the 13th and I have Googled. <laughs> What to do how on to Friday celebrate? Friday how to <laughs> celebrate? What are some spooky, fun things you can do to celebrate Friday I'm, the 13th? I'm honestly proud that we're providing uh, the listeners with a place to put that energy. I'm pumped. Like Headless Cabbie, Hey Arnold's legendary Friday the 13th episode aired on October 30th, 1999, Ooh. almost 24 years ago. 
to the day as part of the show's fourth season, setting the perfect tone for Halloween 1999. I want to go back. I know. This episode was directed by the late, great Tuck Tucker. We've talked about Tuck before in our previous Hey Arnold episodes. We have. And it was written by Antoinette Stella. What a name. I love the name Antoinette. I know. Um, she has 13 writing credits for the show, mostly throughout seasons two and three. And some of her most iconic segments include Arnold's Halloween, which Ooh. will definitely be on deck probably for a future October. Yeah, honestly. Uh, Helga's Locket. <laughs> okay, yeah. And Phoebe Cheats. Mm, all very good episodes. I find Phoebe Cheats to be one of the more haunting episodes, personally. She gets that super creepy little yeah, the doll little award statue thing. Award the statue, yeah. That's like, yeah. That one did haunt that's me. That's taunting her because she lies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, she cheats. Um, <laughs> Antoinette also worked as a producer for shows like Melrose Place, Providence, Star Trek Enterprise, Close wow. to Home, and Law and Order Criminal Intent. Wow. Pretty cool. I would also like to note that this is one of those episodes we discussed in our earliest Hey Arnold Dives, in which Wolfgang, the notorious bully, mm. is voiced by Arnold's own former voice actor from season one, Torin Caudell, known today as Lane Torin. Your man crush Monday. Honestly, every day. He's one of my dream that's pretty dark guests. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It would be it would be really cool to be able to talk to him. And as much as I don't want Arnold and Gerald to be bullied, I do really appreciate the episodes where Wolfgang features mm -hmm. just for that specific reason, because it's a callback to the original voice of Arnold. Yeah, for sure. And I really love that they created a character just to keep Lane involved with the show. Oh, yeah. Listener, especially if you're new to the show, if you're looking for breakdowns on the rest of these voice actors, you should rewind your way back to episode 14. <laughs> you have the exact number. Awesome. <laughs> Where we introduced the show before our coverage of The Headless Cabbie. That was our first Hey Arnold episode that we did. Episode 14. That feels like forever ago, honestly. It really does. I thought it was I mean, earlier than that. I would have guessed earlier than 14. But 14 is dadgum early. <laughs> yeah. So all the production info too. We also kind of build on it each episode too, I think. Yeah. Really anytime that we're coming upon you know, new faces or names, we try to shout them out as well. Sure. In summary from IMDb, Wolfgang dares Arnold and the gang to break superstitions, which cause a spate of bad luck to erupt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much does it. My version, I did a, I did a summary for this episode, guys. All right. oh, how long has it been <laughs> since episode 14? I, it's been a while since I wrote my own. <laughs> my version, though, would probably be equally succinct, but would go something more like this. Classic Friday the 13th schoolyard conversations become ill-advised superstitions turned dares for Arnold and Gerald, but is the ensuing curse their new reality or someone's sinister design? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> What's the difference? We'll find out right here. Oh, and that's pretty dark. While I love the schoolyard childhood air of the whole thing, and I have my own memories with many of these same superstitions as a kid... <laughs> It's so fascinating to me that these superstitions have frightened and captivated hundreds of years of humans from every class, rank, and age group. Mm. The episode opens with a crescendo of black kitties mewing, which so my kitties. own kitties were not thrilled with when I was watching. <laughs> Never are when they can hear those sounds. Yeah. But these kitties are gathering on the stoop of the Sunset Arms boarding house. And Grandma cries, Happy Friday the 13th, everybody, with an added cackle, which is really Grandma. the only appropriate energy for embracing this day. 
day of all days. Man, I wish I could see a black cat on a regular basis, let alone a whole stoops. I saw one yesterday. Yeah? I saw one yesterday. I've made friends with it successfully. The one that was hanging out in my backyard that I told you about before. Oh, well, it's the same one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but it wouldn't, but it wouldn't let me pet it. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't let me anywhere near it. And yesterday, because last time I saw it, I left it a treat. I see. This time when I I was walking around the block in my neighborhood and when I saw it like in the distance ahead of me, it started to like hide and go into the storm drain and it like saw me and I called to it and it was starting to hide and then it looked up and then it came out and walked along the sidewalk and like waited for me. It's like, oh wait. And I was like, it knows me because I gave it a treat. You're the treats lady. Yeah. I'm the treats lady. So hey, you got more treats. I have a pretty good rep with the black cat of my neighborhood. Wow. I encourage you all to uh, befriend a black do the cat. Same. <laughs> befriend your black cats in your neighborhood. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. okay. Way ahead of ourselves. Way, way ahead of ourselves. We're just too excited. Inside, we see that grandma is dressed as a cat. And for some reason, she seems to be dressed as a gray one and not a black one herself. Yeah. And I thought maybe, maybe that was too close to Catwoman with like a black cat suit. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But it looked off black at best to me. Yeah, definitely gray. Well, I'm off to collect all the black cats in the city and walk them under some ladders. Who's coming with me? Grandpa calls her a crazy bird, but (laughs) no, Grandpa. She's a cat. She's a cat. Crazy old bird taking up with a bunch of black cats on Friday the 13th. Well, let's just ask him for trouble, Pookie. Come on, Grandpa. You're not really superstitious, are you? And Grandpa launches into a whole speech on how for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. wise men have feared Friday the 13th. Oh, here we go. How it's the most unlucky day of all. Plus, it was the day that he paid a so-called medical student $50 to remove his spleen. <laughs> so-called medical student. <laughs> Maybe a laugh. No, Arnold, you go playing fast and loose with any superstitions today, and you'll end up with a curse on your head. I don't believe oh, yeah. But as we've come to know him, Arnold is unfazed, because he doesn't believe in this stuff. It kind of plays for Arnold, though, because... The thing about like superstitions and like curses and stuff is it often does rely on your belief in the thing. Sure. You know, certain types of magic is just, anyway. Right. Normally you're like, well, it's real whether you believe in it or not. It's like, well, in this case. This is a little bit more subjective. Probably has been throughout history and time. Especially since many cultures considered 13. Lucky. Yeah, we're going to get there. Anyway, We're definitely going to get there. Getting ahead of ourselves. And speaking of that... (laughs) So right up front, listener, Christian, we're hit with our first couple superstitions. Mm -hmm. I assume you would. Would you care for a quick exploration of Friday the 13th in general? Please. This is what I have wanted. The creme de la creme of the whole episode concept. One of the most pervasive superstitions of all time. (laughs) Yes. Am I building it up enough? You're definitely hitting all of the high points for sure. The high mark, yeah. Friday the 13th has long held negative associations for much of the Western world. Mm -hmm. According to an article all about the date on CNN by Christabel Hastings, there's even a name to describe the irrational dread of the date. Parascavidecatriophobia. Parascavidecatriophobia. Yeah, a specialized form (laughs) of triskaidecaphobia, which is a fear of the number 13. Yeah, okay. That checks out. I can spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and I did without even a second thought as I was writing these notes. Mm. But please don't expect me to ever spell that again, Uh -uh. because I got nothing. But according to the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina, I didn't know there was such a thing. Mm, Shout out to you guys. What's up? An estimated 17 to 21 million people in the United States are affected by the fear of this day, making it the most feared day and date in history. 
Some people are so paralyzed by fear that they avoid their normal routines in doing business, taking flights, or even getting out of bed. Wow. It's been estimated that $800 to $900 million is lost in business on this day. Oh, shit. That shocked me. I was like, no way. That's wild. These folks in North Carolina say it's so. I'm looking for fun things to do on Friday the 13th. Apparently, the way you celebrate it is you stay in bed. You stay home. You have a crippling fear of it. You have yeah. to just develop agoraphobia for a single day. Apparently, if you really believe in it, you have the crippling fear, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you can stay home, make Kool-Aid. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was very surprised to see that statistic. Carve a pumpkin. Bake some cookies. I know, right? That seems more along the lines of what we would do ourselves or our darklings. Oh, but it'd be like, don't turn the oven on. It's going to catch the house on fire. Right. Don't use knives to carve pumpkins. It shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did because we know even some buildings will skip the 13th floor out of superstition. Which makes no sense to me because it's the 13th floor whether you call it the 14th or not. True. They avoid the name. But if you go the ground floor versus the first floor, that always the did lobby, the basement, I where agree. does the number system begin? It drives me nuts. I know. I have a lot of feelings about this. But it just proves how pervasive this superstition actually is and has been throughout history. I'm ready. This somewhat ancient fear has been churned into everything from an entire 80s slasher franchise that we talk about often. Definitely the Zeke the Plumber episode. To the subject of children's media episode like this one. Mm. Props to you, brave listener, if you happen to be engaging in your normal podcast listening behavior on this day. And I hope you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's these, one of the safest things to do, apparently. If your normal behavior is listening to That's Pretty Dark. Stay home and listen to That's Pretty Dark. Interestingly, and notably, CNN also pointed out that while Friday the 13th may feel like a rare phenomenon, our Gregorian calendar means that the 13th of any month is actually slightly more likely to fall on a Friday than any other day of the week. What? Mind blown. I know. You know, I looked up something pretty similar. How often Friday the 13th happens in October? Yeah, that's also a good question. And turns out, not very often. Really? According to AL.com, sometimes it falls every six years. But most often, it's every 11 years. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. But like you were saying earlier, it is not, however, a universal superstition. Yeah. In Greece and Spanish-speaking countries, it is Tuesday the 13th that is considered a day of bad luck. And in Italy, it's Friday the 17th. Oh, wow. So to our international listeners, you're bringing a whole new perspective. Wow. But this date does have roots in a lot of different cultures. And we know that this date has a mysterious past in general. Mm. History.com laid out an incomplete but harrowing list of some of the terrible things that have happened on Friday the 13th, including the German bombing of Buckingham Palace, September 1940, Shoot. the murder of Kitty Genovese in Queens, New York, March 1964. This was a huge LGBTQ crime story in oh. which the attacker was called off of the girl by a neighbor who didn't realize she'd been stabbed, but when she dragged herself back to her apartment, the attacker came back 10 minutes later. I heard, I have heard about oh, this story. If we were a true crime podcast, I would take a lot more time on it, oh. but that happened on Friday the 13th. There was also a cyclone that killed more than 300,000 people in Bangladesh, November 1970. Wow. The disappearance of a Chilean Air Force plane in the Andes, October 1972. Shoot. The death of famed rapper Tupac, September 1996. Mm. And the crash of the Costa Concordia cruise ship off the coast of Italy, which killed 30 people in January 2012. Just to name a very, very few of the tragic events of the state. Damn. But listener... 
One thing we've learned so far on That's Pretty Dark is that correlation does not always equal causation. Very rarely, in fact. But for sake of the spooky season, let's take a stroll through some of the history and lore that helped cause all of these correlations to be conflated. A very spooky moonlit stroll. That's what I want on Friday the 13th. You might be thinking that you already know the origins of Friday the 13th. I don't. Maybe you think it's something about the Da Vinci Code, which helped to popularize the incorrect claim that the superstition originated with the arrests of hundreds of members of the Knights of Templar on Friday, October 13th, 1307. But nay, I tell you, nay. (laughs) Nay. Nay. Like many superstitions that have evolved over time and across cultures, it's difficult to pinpoint the precise origins of Friday the 13th. What we do know, though, is that both Friday and the number 13 have been regarded as unlucky in certain cultures throughout history. In his book, Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, Charles Panatti traces the concept of the curse back to Norse mythology. When Loki, the god of mischief, gatecrashed a banquet in Valhalla, bringing the number of gods in attendance to 13. Oh, okay. Deceived by Loki, the blind god Hoder was tricked into shooting his brother Balder, the god of light, joy, and goodness, with a mistletoe-tipped arrow, killing him instantly. (laughs) Mistletoe. You bastard. Gets him every time. Yeah. Bad things on the 13th. Wow. Okay. And with the 13th god. Because of the 13th god. From Scandinavia, Panati explains that the superstition then spread south throughout Europe, becoming well-established along the Mediterranean by the start of the Christian era. And I don't mean Christian's era. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not yours. A common mistake. It was here that the unsettling power of these numerals was cemented through the story of the Last Supper, which was attended by Jesus Christ and his disciples on a Thursday. Oh, mm-hmm. The 13th and most infamous guest to arrive, Judas Iscariot, was the disciple who betrayed Jesus, leading to his crucifixion on Good Friday. Yeah, yeah. So, most likely, just like we learned in our Halloween series on That's Pretty Dark last year, the popularization of this superstition in the West, particularly the number 13 being a bad thing, Mm -hmm. can actually be traced back more to Christianity itself, and less so the occult world that Christians typically try to associate it with. That's true. Yeah. It's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though there are some overlapping reasons, which I'll get to in a second. It's funny you bring that up because I, you know, when I was researching for Thriller, I watched The Wolfman, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where they're burying a gypsy, uh, Bela Lugosi's character. Mm-hmm. And when the, the gypsy mother is basically talking the priest into uh, their gypsy funeral, yeah, he basically says, like, superstition is harder to to beat than the devil himself. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's something like that. I paraphrase, but um, I, I mean, yeah, it's it just is. kind of, you know, funny. These things are very pervasive and we are just scratching the surface of that whole concept. Wikipedia says in France, Friday the 13th might have been associated with misfortune as early as the first half of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. A character in an 1834 play, Les Finesses de Gribulis, states, <laughs> I was born on a Friday, December 13th, 1813, from which come all my misfortunes. Oh, man. So this character in this play was attributing that to his misfortunes even that early. Just like Eugene. Just like Eugene, (laughs) yes. And we know how that turns out. I think that that might be a thread that some of these creators followed, honestly. We see you. It wasn't until the 19th century, however, that Friday the 13th truly became synonymous with misfortune. As Steve Rout explains in The Penguin Guide to the Superstitions of Britain and Ireland, the combination of Friday and the number 13 is a Victorian invention. 
he says. Oh. In 1907, the publication of Thomas W. Lawson's popular novel, Friday the 13th, captured the imagination with its tale of an unscrupulous broker who took advantage of the superstitions around the date to deliberately crash the stock market. Oh, okay. I guess it's a good day to do stuff and then blame it on something else. Yes, that's the vibe that I was picking up. Maybe the Catholic Church knew what they were doing after all. Like you were saying earlier, though, if we dig just a little deeper than that, we find that there are also many good things associated with both Friday and the number 13. And I think it's just as important to talk about these. Yeah, Friday is like the weekend, you know? TGIF, know what I'm saying? TGIF, for sure. Yeah, man. 13, Baker's Dozen. Better to have 13 donuts than 12. <laughs> mm, tw- ooh, 13 donuts on Friday. God, that's how you celebrate. That's what I should do on Friday the 13th. We should now go. you figured it dude, out. Dude, we should go to Tato Nut. Oh my get God. Get 13 Tato Nuts okay. on Friday the 13th. Okay. Oh my God. That sounds that like sounds a great so day. <laughs> that sounds so good. In the vein of not all things related to 13 being bad, the number 13 has been long regarded as a pretentious number by pre-Christian and goddess-worshipping cultures for its link to the number of lunar and menstrual cycles that occur in a calendar year. Fertility was prized in pagan times, and artwork would often draw connections to menstruation, fertility, and phases of the moon. Okay. They're all good things. Mm-hmm. Important things. Very natural. Thing. If not super fun things all the time. Yeah. Additionally, in pagan times, Friday was believed to have a unique association with the divine feminine. The first clue can actually be found in the weekday name Friday, which is derived from Old English and means Day of Frigg. Frigg's Day. Both Queen of Asgard and a powerful sky goddess in North mythology, Frigg, also known as Frigga, was associated with love, marriage, and motherhood. Frigg gave protection to homes and families, maintained social order, and could weave fate as she did the clouds. She also possessed the art of prophecy and could bestow or remove fertility. Hmm. On the other hand, Freya, the goddess of love, fertility, and war, with whom Frigg was often conflated, was endowed with the power to perform magic, predict the future, and determine who would die in battles, and was said to ride a chariot pulled by two black cats. Oh, hell yeah. These goddesses were worshipped widely across Europe, and because of these associations, Friday was considered a lucky day for marriage by Norse people. I see. So these two uh, goddesses were like polar opposites almost? Kind of, sort of. They were- um, They seem kind of similar, except they were like enemies in a way. Yes. They they were over and about different things, but they both go back to the idea of fertility, mm-hmm. you know, the divine so they feel like they feel like two sisters almost. Yes. It's kind of like that. I don't know that they were literally two sisters. I right. Not in the mythology. But they may be. Um, and I think I think more so the fact that they get confused with each other is why this started to cross over. I was about to ask, like, so wait, which one is Friday named after? Exactly. Friday is named after Frigg. Okay. But there's also Freya. Freya is the one that has a chariot pulled by two black cats. What day is named after Freya? None, you bitch. <laughs> it's friggin' Frigg's day. <laughs> yeah, well... Some people think it might be Freya's day too, apparently. She's all about taking care of homes and love and people. And mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love staying home on Friday the 13th and eating potato nuts. So taking all of that mythology into account and also the Christian traditions that don't like the number 13, mm-hmm. it's sort of a two for one. Christians already deemed Friday the 13th bad for their own Christian reasons. But since pagan tradition regarded it as good, they seem to have considered it bad for that reason as well. Oh, yeah. Mm, Twofold. And that's exactly what the CNN article also picked up on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They said, as Christianity gained momentum in the Middle Ages, however, paganism stood at odds with this new patriarchal faith. 
Not only did its leaders take objection to the worship of multiple gods and goddesses, but the celebration of Friday, the number 13, and the goddesses who invoked love, sex, fertility, magic, and pleasure were then deemed unholy. There's nothing wrong with so love, So all of these y'all. good things that were happening, a Friday. <laughs> all these very positive things. Uh, these were all deemed unholy and therefore especially bad in this early, the early days of the Christian faith. Things to do on Friday the 13th. Get 13 Tato nuts um, and make love. <laughs> Honestly, on Friday the 13th. While eating 13 Tato nuts. You'd, you would be making the originators of the date very happy. And yourself. And hopefully the other person. <laughs> the article went on to share... So revered were these deities, though, that making people relinquish them proved to be a real challenge. But Christian authorities persisted with their campaign, branding both the deities and the women who worshipped these deities as witches. I'm not surprised at all! As you shouldn't be. (laughs) When Norse and Germanic tribes converted to Christianity, Frigga was banished in shame to a mountaintop and labeled a witch. (laughs) It was believed that every Friday, the spiteful goddess convened a meeting with 11 other witches, plus the devil. (laughs) Why not? A gathering of 13, and plotted ill turns of fate for the coming week. Ooh, the devil makes 13. That's the witches' dozen. But what's so funny to me about that whole concept is that the Christians then sent, like, forced her into this isolation or this banishment. Where she then decided to be spiteful. Right, yeah. She wouldn't have been spiteful had they not banished her, right? You know, like- Never scorn a woman. (laughs) So wait, she's a real person or is this more mythology? This is mythology. Who banished her? Well, this was was around the time that the Norse and Germanic tribes were being converted to Christianity. Uh So they were building in their own stories about how, how their- traditions would then play into Christianity. I see. So they basically were just rewriting mythology. Yes. They gave her a reason to be this bad, bad character that the Christians thought she was. Oh, okay. This is making sense. Yes. Yes. Scapegoat. Yeah. It's unfortunate though. Yeah. Yes. B- major scapegoat. It's like- Major scapegoat. You're trying to make someone- <laughs> I just did the thing. <laughs> yes. Major scapegoat. Um. Yeah. You caused the banishment. You wanted to make her the scapegoat. But then you're just admitting that you did it. Right. You're the cause. That's that's what I'm saying. That's my own yeah, personal yeah, that's the commentary takeaway. on top of it is like, if you hadn't sent her away, would she not feel the need to do this? So right. I will say, of course, these days, Friday the 13th still haunts the Western imagination. But with conversations around the role misogyny has played in silencing powerful women throughout history now becoming more mainstream, it's possible that just perhaps the narrative of this unlucky date and the female deities associated with it might soon be rewritten again. The author of this CNN article ended with, <laughs> you're, you're going to laugh, but some listeners out there will support me in this, <laughs> a beautiful note about Taylor Swift and her fixation with the number 13 turning the tides of feminism. You hear me laughing? <laughs> I thought it was great, and it is great. And if you know Taylor Swift and anything about her lore with the number 13, I think that's a really cool tie-in to modern-day femininity in general. Mm-hmm. Girl power. You don't sound so enthusiastic. Yeah. I mean, she's fine. Before we get back to the Hey Arnold story, we've got one more superstition to uncover. Black cats. Let's do it. We've discussed black dogs and sometimes even black cats already in a couple of our episodes, and we've talked about their significance in certain cultures and circumstances. But before I try attempt to share some new facts, I first want to be clear that black animals are cool as f***. 
(laughs) And they should not still be suffering from this kind of prejudice in the year of our Lord, 2023. So you should adopt a black cat or dog. Go adopt a black animal. It will make your life better. They're precious. And actually they need homes because they're often considered evil. Exactly. And people are mean to them. Exactly. And there's no need for that. No need for that. History.com also hooked us up with some of the origins of these legends. The connections between humans and cats can be traced back to some of the world's earliest civilizations, most notably, and you've probably heard of it most often, ancient Egypt, Mm. where cats were considered divine symbols. Cats also made an appearance in Greek mythology, specifically Hecate, the goddess of magic, sorcery, the moon, and witchcraft, which was described as having a cat both as a pet and a familiar, which is a supernatural creature that assists a witch, according to European folklore. Right. Written records link black cats to the occult as far back as the 13th century when an official church document called Vox and Rama was issued by Pope Gregory IX on June 13th, 1233. In it, black cats were declared an incarnation of Satan. Oh, yes. Author Layla Morgan Wilde of Black Cats Tell True Tales and Inspiring Images says that this decree marked the beginning of the Inquisition and church-sanctioned heretic and or witch hunts. Initially, it was designed to squash the growing cult of Luciferians in Germany, but it quickly spread across Europe. So this document that was letting them know that cats, black cats are an incarnation of Satan was basically the beginning of mm-hmm. this Christian reign of terror on these people, essentially. Right. I think that was the or document. considered not falling in line. I think that was the document that led to the like myth that there was a mass extermination of cats throughout Europe we talked about last mm-hmm. year briefly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild stuff. Yes. It's absolutely wild, especially when you consider that the early, early Christian church in Europe coexisted with witches. But as the church gained power, they saw witches as their direct competition in gaining the hearts and minds of the people. Right. And that is when the church began hunting, persecuting, torturing, and killing, quote unquote, witches in vast numbers. Yes. Can't have competition, especially not women. No. Can't make us look bad. We're men. According to author Caridwen Fallingstar, who... um discussed a lot of everyday magic ideas. She was like a Wiccan priestess. Mm -hmm. She said, witches honored the natural world, having deep respect for plants and animals. Affection between humans and animals, therefore, began to be seen as diabolical or devilish. Yeah. And the old lady with her cats was seen as suspect, (laughs) which has a sad amount of relevance to our Hey Arnold episode. (laughs) Is that where the cat lady comes from? Probably, yeah. Weird cat lady. It's concept. when we began to hate women and cats, so... <laughs> well, I love both. Caridwin says this wasn't the only connection that was fabricated between witches, cats, and the devil that early Christians feared. They also saw, like I was saying, both of them as threats, because cats, just like these women accused of witchcraft, tend to exhibit a healthy disrespect of authority. <laughs> they don't fawn like dogs upon even the unworthy. Sure, no. <laughs> I like dogs, too. I'm just saying. This author said that in the church, neither independent women nor independent animals were to be tolerated. Another folklorist and artist, Phoebe Miller-White, says that a black cat crossing your path might very well be on a mission from a witch. Just as easily, it could be the devil in disguise. And no one wants to cross paths with the devil. Mm, the devil. This notion continued into the Renaissance when a black cat crossing your path might have indicated that a witch had sent her familiar to do you harm. Mm-hmm. Many fearful peasants of the day might have hurried to the nearest church and paid for a priest to bless them and rid them of any curse that might have been laid by the cat. 
And because this was a source of income for the church, such fears would likely have been encouraged. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. Spread the superstition. Come to us to relinquish we'll you, you from the curse. We'll, we'll bless we'll you. We'll help you from your black cat curse. Yeah. Mm. But yet again, we find that even the idea that black cats are bad luck isn't universal. In fact, some cultures believe that black cats bring good luck. Their resemblance to the cat goddess Beset led them to be honored in ancient Egypt, and in other countries, such as Scotland and Japan, they've been known to represent prosperity. So, it seems that whether a black cat is viewed as a benevolent creature or an evil supernatural force is entirely based on your geography and whichever lore you're likely to embrace based on where you live. So... Now that we are deeply, deeply either confused or grounded in our folklore... I'm both. Let's get back to the episode. Unluckily enough, as Arnold is trying to reassure Grandpa, he spills the salt shaker, which sends Grandpa oh, into a tizzy. Can't spill the salt. Nope, because to Grandpa, it's not just salt. Not today. Grandpa, it's only salt. Only salt? Give me that salt, salt. As you fly, hit the devil in the eye. <laughs> it almost and hits he grandma. nearly hits grandma and her cat instead. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good stuff. But this does seem to be in keeping with some Christian interpretations of the superstition. And I don't mean you, Christian. <laughs> no. I'll stop making that joke now. Please. I've only heard it every single day for my entire life, just, I just about. I haven't referenced Christianity that much it's in a while. It's not like school wasn't hell on earth for me <laughs> when they were like, oh, did they name the school after you? Because Christian's mm. in the name. Yeah, you know what? They did. They I'm, did. It's my school, I'm a bitches. boss, man. <laughs> this Christian interpretation, though, says that the reason that you throw salt over your shoulder is because the devil's lurking there, on your left specifically, mm -hmm. and your guardian angel to your right. Ooh, that's where the devil on the one shoulder and the angel on the other comes from. Mm-hmm, kind of, sort of. Wow. We've also talked about salt and Wild. its role in many cultures and apotropaic magic rituals of protection, mm -hmm. which this moment with Grandpa displays as well. Yeah. But... I don't think we've yet talked about specifically spilling salt. No. No, the furthest we got was the fluoride toothpaste back in our Seek the Plumber episode. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> there's salt. I thought of that too. I thought of that when I was mm -hmm. writing this. I found a lot more research into salt and I was like, you know what? We're going to talk about this later, so I'm going to save it. And also Hocus Pocus. And also Hocus Pocus, right, right. As one can sort of assume, and according to timelessmyth.co.uk, Timeless. the origins of the spilling salt superstitions may lie in the fact that spilling salt was considered bad form long before it was considered bad luck. <laughs> in ancient times, like a 1556 document from Rome which referenced the belief, salt was an expensive commodity and one that mm -hmm. had many useful purposes and indications. Wasting salt, therefore, was frowned upon, and so some suggest the admonition of spilling salt being bad luck came about as a way to stop the careless from wasting a precious spice. Yeah, buddy. Makes sense to me. This must be uh, the website where I found a bunch of that lore because I couldn't, <laughs> I like forgot where I found it, but this sounds like exactly what I found. And I was like, oh shit, that makes so much there sense. There is a surprising amount of research about all of these things. There really, so there please really know is. that I'm doing my very best to cite my sources, but there are so many places you can find mm -hmm. it. And like I was saying before, it's a big game of telephone and some of it's a different place to place, not even geographically, but That's just true. on the internet. That's so. true. The most I know about it is that it was this expensive commodity 
And people believe it had power just for because of its ability to like preserve and even heal. Mm-hmm. You know, it could like purify a wound. There's a whole idea that Roman soldiers were paid insult, and that's where we get our word salary. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily true. Right, but. It is kind of a picture, at least, of how revered it was as a spice in the culture. And this belief carried through multiple cultures. A German proverb held that whoever spills salt arouses enmity. The belief is even present in Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, Mm. which depicts Judas Iscariot. That's the second time I've had to reference Judas Iscariot today, (laughs) having knocked over a salt cellar. How many times? 13. If only he'd known to toss it over his shoulder. Wow. LOL. Personally, like all superstitions, though, I find it fascinating that this one has stood the test of time. Because, I mean, I've always done the salt toss thing since I was a kid, and I have no memory of where I actually learned it from. Like, it may have been at least partially this episode. Ooh, yeah, it could be that. But I guess people around me, to some degree, were doing this little ritual that's so much... Like, mm-hmm. if you don't know about it, you might not even notice that people do it. Mm-hmm. The homeschool yard? Yeah, <laughs> the homeschool yard. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever actually seen anyone do that in real life. Oh, I I do it. I, you've probably seen me do it. I've never seen you do it. 100% have tossed salt over my shoulder, like, in the last two weeks. Wow. Guaranteed. Listener, let us know when was the last time that you tossed salt? I feel like maybe I'm like talking the talk more than I'm walking the walk. I love all this occult I stuff. I feel like I, I live the superstitions way more than you do. Live it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, we could have talked about that at the top because genuinely I follow most of these, if not all of them, minus like, you know, the black cat stuff. I don't know. It's funny because actually like, loving the day of Friday the 13th. But beyond that, I follow all the little ones. I mean, I, I have to say, I think about the other ones more so. I've never, I just never tossed the salt. Like we haven't gotten to the rest of them yet, but you know, like I don't step on cracks and I don't like, okay, yeah. Never open an umbrella inside. As we get there, you can let me know how you feel about it in your life. Yeah. Cause I would like to know if I'm the only one that does this stuff still. I just don't spill salt. Okay. It's a commodity and I I respect it. You're way more proper than that. Yeah. I prefer to eat it. You know what I mean? I mean, I prefer to eat it too, but as much as I eat it, that means that I often also spill it. I spill liquids. I don't spill salt. Arnold's day continues at school, where Gerald thinks that Grandpa might be onto something. Well, I don't know. Maybe your grandpa's got the right idea. I mean, my mom wouldn't let me take the bus today because it was nine thirteen. And she also wouldn't let him out of the house without his lucky rabbit's foot. Arnold is skeptical, and Gerald carefully places the rabbit's foot under his shirt for safekeeping. I'm only saying maybe it's not an everyday kind of day. You ever had a lucky rabbit's foot? I have. Have you? No, I had. I've had friends who had them. I definitely did. And I was, I was always like, I don't Whoa. again remember where I got it or who gave it to me, but I 100% had one as a kid. I don't think it was a real rabbit's foot, to be fair. Oh no, most of them aren't. They're just fluff. But back in the day, most of them were real. Tell me about it. In the Middle Ages, rabbits themselves were often used to represent evil as well as a symbol of lust because of rabbits' breeding habits. <laughs> These beliefs are thought to stem from the uncleanliness of the rabbit in the Old Testament of the Bible. You're talking about all these lusty rabbits. You got me thinking about Bugs Bunny and how he always gets laid (laughs) at the end of so many episodes. Yeah, that's a theme. Like, wild stuff. And probably also just to play on the nature of rabbits in general. Just the nature of rabbits. Which I didn't get as a kid. (laughs) Carrying the foot as an amulet of sorts to ward off evil the way Gerald does is a superstition with hundreds of variations. In many, the rabbit it came from must possess certain attributes, such as having been killed in a particular place, like a cemetery, or using a particular method, like cutting the back left foot specifically, being captured on a rainy day, or during a full moon, or a Friday, even Friday the 13th, by a person possessing particular attributes. 
like by a cross-eyed man, for example. <laughs> the man with the golden hook for an arm. Yeah. <laughs> as far back as 1584, people carried rabbit's feet to spare themselves from arthritis and cramping. All right. In reading all of this lore, the conclusion that I personally came to is that it's almost lucky by being unlucky, almost as if it will absorb or cancel out further unluckiness. Ooh, like ladybugs. Kind of, yeah. Like a Himalayan salt rock lamp. <laughs> Another perspective on this lucky rabbit's foot lore is that a rabbit is also an animal into which shape-shifting witches such as Isabel Godey in 1662 claim to be able to transform themselves. And some think there's a common thread of suggestion that a true lucky rabbit's foot is actually cut from a shape-shifted witch retaining supernatural properties. Cut from a were-rabbit. A were-rabbit. Whoa. A witch-rabbit. This is also why some beliefs call for the foot to be cut off while the rabbit is still alive so that witches could be identified by their injuries. Oh, We spoke right. about this briefly during the Weremole episode just recently. Peter Stube, Stub, Stumpf, Stube, Stunk, Stein. That's right. Peter Stub. Peter Superstition. In Wales, it was believed sometime in the late 1800s to early 1900s that shooting a rabbit with a silver bullet would make a witch die wherever they were. What? These freaking superstitions are so weird. Grasping at straws there. Rabbit's feet were also considered lucky because of their association with the dead body of a criminal or the connection to the tradition of a hand of glory. Are you oh, familiar with freaking. the hand of glory? Yeah, we have so we have talked about the hand of glory, dead man's hand, all kinds of stuff before. Mm-hmm. I love a little it. bit, yes. I love it. The dried and pickled hand of a hanged man would mm-hmm. be a hand of glory. Oh, yeah. Old European beliefs attribute great powers to such a hand, combined with a candle made from the fat of the corpse mm-hmm. of the same malefactor who died on the gallows. The fat of a hanged man. The candle, so made, lighted, and placed as if in a candlestick in the hand of glory, would have rendered emotionless all persons to whom it was presented. So, very powerful stuff. Man, I have some ooky spooky stuff. Not very much, but of all the things I really want from like occult history and folklore, I want a hand of glory. Yeah. I, I want like it. A I real want one? A, yeah. I want like a real hand of glory. Mm. Like it would be in a glass case. I'd never touch it. I don't even know if they would be preserved enough to exist still. Oh, absolutely. There's a black market for this kind of shit. Oh, geez. It's still being passed around. For Ugh. sure. A hundred percent. Give me the heebie-jeebies putting that energy out there. I don't want any black market. I'm just talking about like items. the posterity of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like to have a piece what of about, folklore history. What about a replica? No. Mm-mm. Oh. Mm-mm. Not good enough. <laughs> Not good enough. But we talked about Quite this. Quite hard to please. Anybody ever tell you that? We talked about this when we did our Twisted Claw episode. Yes. It's like, oh, here's a Twisted Claw. And she's like, don't worry, it's made of wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? Why isn't it just real? What would it have been made of? Yeah, so no, I don't want a replica. Okay. I want a dead man's hand. I was going to put it on your Christmas list, but uh, might I want be a dead man's source. hand. In the same line of thinking, according to Newbel Niles Puckett, a 20th century folklorist, Puckett. the more wicked the person who is dead, the more effective the charm associated with his remains. Oh. Puckett observed that during the 1884 election campaign of Grover Cleveland, he was said to have received the foot of a rabbit that had been killed on the grave of Jesse James, the American outlaw. Oh, shit. So that association made the rabbit's foot stronger. Wow. The rabbit's foot also has connections to black history, which may be why Gerald was the character they chose to introduce it. Mm. Enslaved African-Americans saw rabbit's feet as an embodiment of cleverness, though that cleverness could be good or evil. Sure. It was modeled after a popular folktale that involved a conniving yet powerful rabbit Brer Rabbit, oh, which man. actually comes from African folklore. 
And that makes Disney's Song of the South that much more infuriating. Yeah, too, really, though. That. But that's where the idea of the, like, the trickster rabbit. African folklore. Correct. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> Silly rabbit. Due to the injustices that enslaved Americans and their freed descendants endured, the idea of cleverness, cunning, and superiority in the face of oppressive forces was a powerful message. The point of the rabbit's foot was not to bring general luck, but was specifically meant to bring luck in defending yourself against a subversive American culture. Wow. As with most things, eventually, this was somewhat commercialized by America, where, in a postcard from 1909... You can see depicted lucky objects, including a rabbit's foot, Hmm. a horseshoe, and a wishbone. Oh, wow. By 1932, carrying rabbit's feet was a common occurrence in England and among all classes and backgrounds. While it was widely accepted as an amusing object, the idea that a rabbit's foot could convey anything deep became gradually less important to consumers. Mm -hmm. But now we know a little bit about where it came from. Yeah, that's wild stuff. In the schoolyard of PS 118... Wolfgang and his lackey, Edmund, are bullying Stinky, who's attempting to cross the yard without stepping on a crack so as not to break his mother's back. Then, though, Stinky falls and says, Oh, now I done broke my mama's back. Now I done broke my mama's back. I love your Stinky impersonations. (laughs) But Arnold, of course, comes to his defense, assuring him that it isn't real and it won't come true. Such polite boys, though. You know, they don't want to hurt their mamas. But why tempt fate with... Attempting to do or not do the stepping on the cracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. Like if you're that's, not- That's my, that's my take on it. Why take a risk? Why chance it? Exactly. Because if it happens, man, I bet you there's somebody who did this mm-hmm. on Friday the 13th, stepped on a crack. Something bad happened to their mama. Don't listen to him, Stinky. It's just a superstition. Yeah, don't worry. It won't come true. Will too. Ask anybody about Friday the 13th. Seeing that Arnold is being so reassuring, Wolfgang dares Arnold to step on the crack, and at first, Arnold resists his obnoxious goading until he's called a chicken. Of course, like any good 90s media, we can't have that. You call me a chicken. And Arnold defiantly stomps on the crack in the sidewalk, explaining that he isn't afraid because he doesn't believe in the omens. Gerald, who seems more confident than in the previous scene, maybe feeling protected by his rabbit's foot, does some splits on the cracks to (laughs) cheers from the other students. What a showman. This whole idea of stepping on a crack is one where I had absolutely no idea of the context, but it's also the one that probably haunted me most as a kid. Yeah, of course. You and I have talked before about our crippling fear that we've always shared that something might happen to our parents. Right. And though I can't say I ever believed in it fully, what with, you know, God on my childhood side and all, Mm -hmm. I can say it probably didn't have super great implications for my developing OCD. (laughs) This one's more OCD for me too, I would say. So let's start with this. Have you ever heard like the full rhyme or the full saying? No. Mm -mm. I'm not sure which is real. There are a couple different variations, but some of the ones I found were step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Step on a line, you'll break your father's spine. Yeah. Step in a ditch. Your mother's a bitch. Your mother's nose will itch. Oh, nose (laughs) will itch. Got it. Step in the dirt, you'll tear your father's shirt. Okay. Another was step on a hole, break your mother's sugar bowl. (laughs) Step on a nail, you'll put your dad in jail. I don't think I've heard. I heard some of those. I've heard the line spine one, but the others, I don't think so. These versions have been recorded, at least in print, since the late 1800s. And there are other versions, many from the 20th century, with racist connotations. Hmm. Some think those are the original rhymes, but I personally think that 
racist assholes just put spins on rhymes that they heard. And then like this giant game of telephone that we're all playing, since those were the first versions that some people heard, they became the origin to them and their experience. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So, everybody thinks it came from somewhere else because they heard it from somewhere else. Right. I think the real origin, though, likely comes from something much more practical. And this is according to a 2002 paper by Regina Austin at the University of Pennsylvania. And I really liked the way that she reminisced. She said, once upon a time, the old superstition, step on a crack, break your mother's back, turn many of my walks down city streets into a game. Hmm. What else could cracks have referred to but the lines and crevices in the pavement? Of course, it didn't much matter since little depended on it. I knew that my mama's well-being did not rise or fall with my physical agility. <laughs> it would have been crazy to think otherwise. Yet, when I remembered, and the spirit moved me, I did try to avoid the cracks on the assumption that it couldn't hurt to show a little extra concern and respect for my mom now and then. Nice. There were, of course, children who deliberately and defiantly walked on cracks as a way of defying fate. Right. Back in the early 90s, I asked my ever-practical mother where she thought the superstition came from, and she replied, laughing at her memories, that it probably referred to wooden floorboards that fly up unexpectedly when stepped on because they're not nailed down properly. Like old cartoons. In rickety dwellings, a misstep might lead to serious injury. I feel like we've all seen it like in yeah. classic Looney Tunes with a rake. I've seen the floorboard thing too. Viewed in this context, the superstition might have been an instructional ditty useful for teaching children how to move about the house. Wow. The significance of stepping lightly is indicated by the linkage between the failure to do so and harm to one's mother. Thus, the same bit of folklore, when applied to different material conditions, generated different interpretations and different behavior. Yet, adherence to these old superstitions gave both my mother and me an opportunity to show a bit of dutiful regard for our mothers. For both of us, the superstition was part of the bundle of common beliefs, values, traditions, and practices that constituted and reflected the authority or social power of mothers, especially in black culture. Wow. Yeah. It's all about respect. It's all about respect. And that's why I still don't step on cracks if I can help R-E-S-P-A-C-T. it. Or, you know, if my OCD notices that there are cracks in front of me, <laughs> sometimes I don't realize it. I'm sure it started with this rhyme and this superstition, but yeah, I definitely walk on solid, like slabs of concrete. Mm-hmm. I never step I on cracks. I try to as well, or to, even in a tile floor. Yeah. I try, I try to keep it. I mean, if they're small tiles, I don't know. And worry it's really, it. it's, I mean, yes, it's nice that we all respect our moms. And I think that's. Not a bad thing. I don't think I do it for my mother. I think I do it because I developed OCD. <laughs> I think it's both for me, but... It feels cleaner. It's really funny. Next time you're like in a big, I don't know, bank building or something where they mm. have really big tiled floors and you think about the fact that you're deliberately avoiding the cracks because way, way back several yeah. hundred years ago, they tried to teach toddlers not to step on cracks in wooden floors that would hurt them. You're like trying to be an adult. And then now you're doing that in modern times. It's a really funny little juxtaposition. I've definitely done that. Now that I think about it, I've done that a lot. Me too. <laughs> oh, man. In an effort to remain on top, Wolfgang continues. So you broke one crummy superstition. Big deal. If you really don't believe in superstitions, then why don't you break a whole bunch of them right now on Friday the 13th? And Arnold agrees. Mm. Gerald backs him up, calling mm. on his rabbit the whole time. I don't know if I'm that brave. I'm not. I know I'm not. But Arnold... Always is. And so begins a montage that I have thought of so often for so many years. 
where, while all the other students look on and whisper, Arnold and Gerald allow black cats to walk in their path, Mm -hmm. open umbrellas inside the school halls. Wolfgang has them break a mirror, which he says is triple bad luck on Friday the 13th. Right. But he was at least uh, considerate enough to put it in a paper bag. I know. He was was very careful (laughs) about this specific superstition. At, at first I was like, well, they're trying to be like, you know, if show kids. They don't they don't want kids to see that and then emulate and it. And just break glass wherever they go. But then Correct. you look at the like bag with the shards of glass sticking out of it and it looks way still more dangerous. Great. I was like, it's still not well, great. maybe they weren't trying to do that. Maybe they just wanted to show a bag full of <laughs> sharp objects. Of course, I've already talked at length about the cats and we talked about mirror superstitions extensively in a previous episode as sure well. Have, and sure their basis in Greek mythology and greek culture right but for now it seems like the only new superstition that we have to explore from this little montage is the lore around opening umbrellas inside i feel like i've heard this before but i forget (laughs) (laughs) i want to remember honestly this one always felt very practical to me because umbrellas can be hella dangerous um especially when they're wielded by like school children or even like grown adult tourists i've worked at walt disney world ask me how i know it's very painful to be stabbed with somebody's passing umbrella. Wow, all right, yeah. But I was pretty surprised to find what is widely considered a potential source of this superstition. According to an Arabic site, dailysaba.com, the invention of the umbrella might seem recent, but in fact, umbrellas have been used since Egyptian times. Mm-hmm. Egyptians used umbrellas made of peacock feathers and papyrus to protect themselves from the sun, oh, representing yeah. their goddesses. Parasol. Yes. A parasol made of peacock and papyrus. (laughs) There you go. And since umbrellas were considered as holy tools only used by nobles, it was believed that if its shadow fell upon a person who was not noble, it was bad luck, as the sun god would see this act as sacrilegious. Oh. This also applies to opening an umbrella indoors, since the legend has it that opening an umbrella away from the sun displeases the sun god, which is another bad omen. What? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Doesn't it make any sense? I know, but I mean, it did to them at the time. <laughs> I am so oppressive that you have to shield yourself from me. But how do, how dare you open that umbrella inside where I can't even? Where I can't even? I can't see even it. like touch it. I can't even yep. affect it. Mm-hmm. I want to oppress you. You go back outside before you open your damn umbrella, so I can yeah, oppress kinda. you further. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You basically. come back here when I'm talking to you. You get back here. There are a few more ideas, though. I'm not sold as that being the singular only origin. Thank God. The article goes on to say, more in line with my thinking. However, this superstition has a better explanation if we move forward to London when modern umbrellas were first invented in the 18th century. They were not automatic like they are today, Mm. built with hard metal spokes and spring triggers bigger than the 21st century umbrellas that we know. Mm, They could be dangerous to open indoors. Not to mention they were lined with razor blades. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like it sometimes. And in most cases, opening an umbrella inside could cause serious damage to household items or people. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So again, like I said, I felt like this was pretty practical. Some people think it just comes from times when umbrellas were less safe. I personally don't think they're super safe even today. (laughs) Jollybrawly.com, an umbrella brand not sponsored, 
had another take in line with some of our Are You Afraid of the Dark research. Okay. They said an umbrella protects you against the storms of life. So opening one in your house insults the guardian spirits of your home, causing them to leave you unprotected. (sighs) Remember when we talked about guardian spirits Uh in the dark music episode? Yeah, the the domovoi we talked about. They said that some also believe that if you place an umbrella on any furniture or bed, you're inviting disease or even death into the house. Or if your umbrella falls to the ground, it means there will be pain in your workplace. Wow. The way to avoid that pain is to have somebody else pick up your umbrella for you. (laughs) That's wild. Superstitions. Superstitions. I guess I can't knock it too much because I like, I adhere to certain things. Like if you open a pocket knife, someone else can't close it. Like if you open it, you have to close it. You've said that to me before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that just comes from close the pocket knife before you give it to somebody else so you don't cut them. Yes. I'm yes. sure it's just tied to like There's practical very, things. There's a very, very practical reason not to do that. But I don't know. It's crazy. You can't, your umbrella can't touch the floor. Don't <laughs> put like, your umbrellas on the bed, guys. <laughs> is it because like slugs want to collect on the top of your umbrella and then you put the slugs <laughs> in the bed? And I they, didn't see the origin the for that. I saw it was another bad thing that umbrellas might do to you. You can't forget about the old rain leeches when they attach to your, fixed to your umbrella and then they get in your bed and then they suck your blood in your sleep. Yuck. Rain leeches. Sleep tight. Don't let the rain leeches bite. You know, happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> When I saw them, I did try to include them. So I did see one lucky umbrella superstition, and I thought that would make the creators of How I Met Your Mother very happy to hear it. Oh. If you lose an umbrella, it can mean that there's a surprise coming your way. Oh, I see. All right. That's (laughs) where they got that from. Maybe. It's got to be it. Very possibly. I had no idea that there were so many superstitions around umbrellas, personally. I don't think I did either. I mean, I mostly know about the yokai umbrella because it's associated with children's stories, specifically like scary children's stories um, that also provide comfort for children. I love the umbrella yokai. I've always Mm -hmm. loved umbrellas in general. Like years and years ago, when I was getting into DIY sort of more artsy circles, (laughs) everybody had a stick. Everybody had a thing that they did. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that like writing and ghost stories was my kind of thing. Which to me, I feel like you've been doing it since you were a toddler. So well, I've always- I just didn't know you pre- I've always loved it, but trust me, it took me a long time to realize that even after I was going to be a writer, it took me forever to realize that I needed to focus on like scary, darker things. Sure. Because I was trying to write stuff that wasn't, and it it just didn't fit. It wasn't you. Yeah, it wasn't me. So I had to find my own thing. And I just decided one day I was going to make umbrellas. Really? That was going to be my thing. I've never heard this. This was before I ever Christian met you. History. This was a long time ago. Whoa. And I never did it. Oh. <laughs> I never did it. I thought you were going to say I bought the equipment and no, I started mm-mm. to No, one of the many things I've wanted to do with my life and I never did it. But like, wow. you know, you have friends who get into like woodworking or yeah, and whatever. Yeah, you're going to make like craft custom I was going to make exactly craft super dope custom made umbrellas. <laughs> As they finish this gauntlet of superstitions, Arnold maintains that there's nothing to worry about, though the other kids scatter in fear. Gerald, who immediately steps in gum, is also unconvinced. Mm -hmm. Stinky, who approaches them and holds up his index fingers in an X shape. Hey, Stinky. Sorry, Arnold. I can't stop the jaw with you. I gotta keep away from you and Gerald on account of you're both cursed, condemned, and blighted. Cursed, condemned, and blighted. (laughs) Blighted. Just like the potatoes in Ireland. (laughs) Gerald says, what is blighted? And Arnold says, we'll look it up later. We'll look it up later. Man, do you remember purple gum? 
purple gum. I remember pink bubble gum. Well, pink was the standard, but then there was like purple and green. No. Never had purple and green gum? You, you I don't Double think I bubble. Did. You guys out I there. I had green, like, you know, mint. No, no, no. I'm talking like green, like double bubble. <laughs> like slime green. Like no. slime green, like ballpark gum Mm-mm. and purple. There was also purple and I would eat both those. Well, that's clearly Man, what they were so good. Uh, Edmund is chewing. Absolutely. He is. This episode is ballpark purple pu- bubble gum. I've used the symbol, the anti-hex symbol that Stinky's using myself, mm-hmm. perhaps from seeing it in places like this, pretending to avoid the jinx of like an ill coworker or someone who is experiencing bad luck. <laughs> and I could not find any exact context for this one. Well, it's the symbol of the cross. It is, I guess. I always took it more as an X, but yeah, it could be the symbol of the cross. Xmas. X. Crosses. Cross. It all goes back. It all yeah. comes back here, doesn't it? It all goes back to Christ. I will say, though, funny enough, if you find yourself dining in Japan, this X shape with your fingers is a common way to signal to a waiter that you're ready for the check. Yeah, I get it. Check, please. Check, please. As Arnold and Gerald open their lockers, books fall on them in an avalanche, and Stinky takes this as confirmation. I told you, you're a couple of all As they're headed to their next class, Arnold explains that someone had to have messed with their lockers, that they'd been Mm booby-trapped. Then they take a seat in their desk, which then mysteriously collapse due to loose screws, and then have a can of paint tumble onto them from atop a ladder. I had a nickel for every loose screw in my life, you know what I'm saying? By now, Gerald believes that they are definitely cursed. Arnold is the king of believing in coincidence, though. And he's still unfazed when they find their bike tires flat and plan to walk them home. Mr. Cool is a cucumber over here, just like... Always. Nothing to worry about. Every time. Nothing to worry about. Here, though, we as an audience see Wolfgang and Edmund looking on from the shadows, pleased with their own antics. Hey, mister, I'll give you $5 for that bucket of fish heads. I don't know. Is this some kind of trick? After haggling with the fish market guy, the infamous fish market guy, (laughs) Primo stuff. Wolfgang purchases a bucket of gray a fish heads and somehow manages to make it to the rooftop of a building on the boys route home which is probably the most magical element of this entire episode is their magical transportation to this rooftop right how do you get up there how do you get up there that fast right but they get there in time to dump these fish heads on arnold and gerald as they pass through an alleyway full of black cats gerald looks to the sky and beats his chest the cats approach and Arnold reminds us that this must be Grandma's cat collection, which is a key element for later in the story. Uh-huh. Just as Arnold is explaining to Gerald that there's absolutely no proof that bad luck follows people around, enter Eugene, um, okay. who has been well established by this point in the series, to possess chronic bad luck. Chronic. In fact, the episode about his bike, which I remember so well because it made me so sad. I know. was the second episode of the whole series. I couldn't believe that. It was one of the first things that they explored on Hey Arnold. When I started rewatching the series, I was like, holy shit, it's so early. It's early and it's sad. They explore empathy so early. Yes. Man, he's the bad luckiest kid around. The bad luckiest, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. There's nothing unlucky about Friday the 13th. I was born on Friday the 13th. And look at me. I want to hear from people who were born on Friday the 13th. Yeah, let us know. Tell us what your life is like. We'd love to hear. Do you believe? Do you not believe? Please share. Please. 
This leads the boys to visit one of my favorite Hey Arnold Hillwood conventions, Dude, the Love too. Potion Shop, <laughs> run by Madame Blanche. Madame Blanche. Guess who voices Madame Blanche? Who voices her? Guess, listener. Guess. Who? Guess. Who? Kathy Najimy. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I know. I knew that. Yes. We t- we talked about that last year, didn't mm-hmm. we? I think we talked Hocus about Pocus? it when we mentioned her in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. But I don't know that we said exactly who or where. So that's so great. Just another opportunity to. Say how great she is. God, it's so good. Madame Blanche hooks them up with an anti-bad luck kit consisting of curse and reverse cream, good luck powder, chains of garlic, everything you need, and much, much more. She cautions them to read the instructions before opening the kit. And, of course, to pay her ten bucks. Right, got you. Ching. I love Friday the 13th. She loves Friday the 13th. She loves it. Of course, then we the audience and Grandma from her Catwoman rooftop perch spot Wolfgang and Edmund heading into the shop to buy their own kit, which they promptly replace Arnold's with as they sit on a bench to read the instructions. Oh, honey and barbecue sauce routine. Yeah. Step one, put on the chain of garlic. Step two. Open the jar of curse and reverse cream. Mm. You're now ready to use your anti-bad luck kit. It's like two, two Gerald items. says, now they're supposed to say the chant, right? Which, I don't know about you, but I didn't hear that in the instructions. <laughs> Garlic chains around our necks. Save us from this evil hex. And as they chant, Wolfgang and Edmund look on. Edmund laughing. I love it. Wolfgang insists that despite their hand in this particular unlucky streak, Friday the 13th is real. What are you talking about? Friday the 13th is real. You don't see me walking under ladders, do you? Of course, this means that we've got to talk about the ladders. Finally. Please. Howstuffworks.com had an article for this one that I'll share. I love Howstuffworks. I used to love (laughs) Howstuffworks.com. God, their podcast is so good. It says, first, let's get the practical reasons out of the way. Most people don't walk underneath ladders because it's just unsafe. Sure is. If a ladder is up, chances are someone's standing on it working, and you don't want to take the chance of something falling on your head, nor do you want to risk jostling the ladder and knocking someone down. For sure not. Of course, many other theories exist about the unluckiness of walking under a ladder. One explanation regarding ladders and bad luck has its roots in religion also. Are you shocked, listener? (laughs) Many Christians believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This belief made the number three sacred in early Christian times, and along with it, the triangle. Oh. A ladder leaning up against a wall forms the shape of a triangle, and walking through it would be seen as breaking the Holy Trinity, a crime seen as blasphemous, as well as potentially attracting the devil. Wow, this has nothing to do with Watcher in the Woods movie no. and the triangle shape everywhere. <laughs> this is different. Kind of different, kind of, sort of. Wow, breaking the Holy Trinity. Putting yourself in the middle of it. You'd almost think that the Holy Trinity is so powerful it wouldn't matter whether or not you walk. You would think that like you'd be walking into protection. No. Yeah, you kind of would think that. But no, it was already unsafe to walk under a ladder, so they just made it part of their Christian beliefs. God. You know? It's just so unnecessary. Like, why even do that? It's a bridge too far. Others believe me. that a ladder against a wall is too reminiscent of the gallows hmm. because ladders used to be propped up to allow the person being hanged to climb high enough to get to the rope. Okay. Sure. And a third theory involves the Egyptian belief, we're going to Egypt a lot today, (laughs) that if you walk under a ladder, you might accidentally see a god climbing up or down, which is apparently a no-no. And you might see up at skirt. You don't want that either. Well, it depends on the god. (laughs) You never know. I mean, depends. I think that we talked about garlic as protection in your Are You Afraid of the Dark Nightly Neighbors episode last summer. Absolutely, we did. So for sake of time, I would encourage you to go hear about it there if you haven't already. It's all about parasites, y'all. 
The guys then begin to apply their swapped curse and reverse cream, remarking that it smells like barbecue sauce and honey, Yee-yee. which probably would have deterred them, or at least Arnold's hyperlogical mind, had they not been so desperate by this point to rid themselves of the curse. Mm, put that on some smoked meats, man. Mm. Whatever. We just have to smear it on. This stuff is our last hope. I really liked this bit of research. Professor Jane Risen of the University of Chicago has published research that shows jinx avoidance behavior can have a positive effect on people's actions after a perceived bad luck event. Well, yeah, okay, sure. And I kind of like that because I'll buy it, yeah. I think it also just means that you have this heightened awareness about Well, you. how many times do you feel better after praying and asking for forgiveness after you've sinned? Right. It's the same thing. It's all a matter of like absolving yourself of the bad thing, bad luck. Or like, yeah, yeah. I mean, even not even just like a religious thing, but like when you do something horrible and then you admit it to a person or you confess it, you get it off your chest. You do feel better. Mm-hmm. There is a purging element uh, on like an emotional level. And also just the idea too, that you're doing everything you can mm-hmm. to avoid this thing. Yeah. So I think that psychologically speaking with your brain chemicals, that it makes sense that that would have a positive effect. Now everything's going to be fine. We're curse free. Come on. As Arnold and Gerald walk down the block, they realize the cream doesn't seem to be working, and they're instead being pursued by a swarm of bees. Dude. After a brief hesitation about which direction they should run, because of course they shouldn't run down 13th Street, (laughs) they cut through an alley to the park and dive into a fountain, narrowly avoiding an unpleasant reaction. Don't get me started on my hives, guys. No, yeah, speaking of bees, beehives, yeah. (laughs) I've been itchy lately, and I... Don't like it. Is that why they call them hives? Because it's like being stung by a million bees? Perhaps. Arnold tries to save face, but eventually cracks under the pressure, exclaiming really that it's terrible. the worst day of it's his life. It's the worst day of my entire life. We went too far, man. We should have never broken that mirror. No, nothing's going to help us. Not even these garlic chains. And as they lament, they notice that some purple chewing gum is stuck to one of the garlic chains, characteristic of Edmund, who's been chewing just the same purple chewing gum, like we said, throughout the day. dang grape flavored ballpark double bubble, man. This smoking gun turns their day around, and they head to confront Wolfgang and Edmund, who are sitting in their alleyway playing cards. They do confess to the pranks, but they're unapologetic. And we switch your curse and reverse curse. Shut up! So what if we did all those things? Big whoop. What are you going to do about it? And by the way, (laughs) few things infuriate me more than the Big whoop argument, because it is a big whoop to me, or I wouldn't be saying something. Yeah, he's acting like he hasn't been scared of the same shit all day. Exactly. He believes in it deeply. And he's like, so what? You had a bad day. Mm. It's almost like I caused it to you. If you want to make Kaylin mad, just say big whoop. Big whoop. (laughs) But Arnold, man after my own heart, tells Wolfgang. You really shouldn't treat people like that. Someday he just might catch up to you. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that'll ever happen. I wouldn't be so sure about that. And as if on cue, which they are, listener, <laughs> an army of black cats appear, led by Grandma. Edmund counts 13. to 13, 13 black, black cats, cats which terrifies <laughs> Wolfgang. 13 black cats on Friday the 13th? That's like the worst bad luck you could have. That's like a gazillion years bad luck. Gerald then dumps his own bucket of fish heads, probably not grade A fish heads. Probably not primo stuff. And Grandma hisses, which causes Wolfgang to run inside crying for his mom. 
They scoop up the adorable black kitties and exchange Happy Friday the 13th. And we see Grandma dancing in celebration on the roof with her kitties in true feminine divine spirit under a huge glowing full moon. Hail Freya and Frid. Frid? Frig? Fridge? Frig. Frig. Freya. Frig. I loved this episode as a kid, and I honestly still do, because I feel like it had the right combination of we make our own luck mm-hmm. and a weird, yeah. wacky reverence to all of these superstitions of yesteryear. Cool. Good word. And speaking of wacky, the end credit song is very popular among fans of Hey Arnold. I'm sure you'll insert a clip. I will. Salt, salt, white and gleaming, save us from this evil demon. <laughs> Salt, salt, pure white wonder, save us from the man down under. I love their credit song sometimes. Salt, salt, we are feeble, save us from the devil's evil. Oh, it's so good. Salt, salt, from the ocean, save us from the devil's potion. That's so good. Salt, salt, queen of spices, save us from the devil's vices. Salt, salt, chilling starkness, save us from the prince of darkness. Damn, they go heavy like devil stuff here. Devil. But it is really funny. I love how they're just making fun of it. They're just—they're literally throwing salt in the eye of the devil with this song. That's so great. They are. They sure are. This whole episode. This was a winding, twisty, turny cornucopia Mm. of worldwide superstition, and I really hope, listener, that it has somehow enhanced your own Friday the Thirteenth or spooky season in general in some way. It certainly seasoned my Friday the 13th just to right. perfection. Oh my God, it was perfect. I've been looking <laughs> forward to this for so long and I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just pleased. I am pleased to now have at least a few answers, if not definite answers, at least ideas of where these things came from. I think that's a good time. I'm sure this isn't the last superstitions episode of something. Oh no, we come upon superstitions or all the time. Or segment of a movie or something we're going to cover. Yeah. But this was like the apex of like, it's called Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. I mean, this is like the episode to cover. That's how I feel. So I'm glad we made it happen. I'm glad we finally did because for a while there I was feeling like, oh man, we're just like, we're never going to find like the perfect time to do that. Well, we, there were a couple different Friday the 13ths where we almost did We've do had it. Two and then in something the past, else yeah. made more sense or we needed a two-parter or whatever. But I think... Mm-hmm. It was all because it needed to be on a Friday the 13th in October. In October. Week two in the bag. We have our marathon October. Halfway there. Keep it up. Got to stay strong. (laughs) Deep, deep breaths. Do our stretches and our exercises. (laughs) Speaking of all those things we have a patron yes (laughs) to thank which yes you're really at the core of our workout routine because without you what would we do you motivate us you guys make it possible you give us the wind in our lungs Mm -hmm. the strength in our legs to keep going and well all of our listeners do all of our listeners exactly so we want to thank brina for contributing to our patreon thank you brina yeah it's super great we've got a lot going on on our patreon this month don't we We really do and for the rest of the year i'm doing a special super spooky reading series all 13 ghost stories in 13 alabama ghosts and jeffrey it's a book that was read to me in my fifth grade class when i was a kid uh, by one of my favorite teachers and so i thought it was fitting to do for you know, a little bit of Patreon bonus content. Guaranteed to be entertaining, even if you're not from Alabama. That's true. <laughs> Give you a little bit of insight into some of the Southern darkness we like to enjoy around here. But yeah, I really enjoy it. I love reading ghost stories, and it's a really great uh, reason to do it. Put it out there for you guys to enjoy. So if you want to join our Patreon and hear those fun stories, you can go to patreon.com slash TPD podcast. 
it's still only five dollars a month mm -hmm. so you know get it while you can actually it'll be there forever <laughs> so if you want to keep living your best spooky season life you can follow us on social media at that's pretty dark podcast on instagram that's pretty dark on tiktok and we also have merch if you want to go to that'sprettydark.com, mm -hmm. go to our merch tab. Get yourself something nice and spooky for October. Yeah. Indulge in the spirit of the season. That's all I got for now. We're going to get back to recording and editing mm -hmm. and have you guys an episode next week. Yeah. It's going to get a little ghostly. A little ghostly. It's going to get a little bit spectral. The emphasis on the little. On the little and the friendly, mm -hmm. the, the fr friendly ghost. <laughs> it's going to be good. See you guys then. Have a good week. Can't wait. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>